Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So in January of 2019, I went down to Phoenix and I ran the 24-hour across the years running race. Hundred miles. Hundred mile beyond. You know, in that final mile loop, I had a lot of opportunity to reflect. I reflected on how far I've come as a runner, but maybe more importantly, how far I've come as a human being. If you know me, you know that it's never about the run. For me, it's about the people. It's about the lessons. It's about the discipline to train and the grit to push through what you used to think was impossible. It's about relationships. It's about strengthening existing ones and creating new ones. I run for me and for no one else. So whether you are just running a 24-hour race or just running a 5K or just walking a block, do it for you and for no one else. I think you'll be amazed at what can happen when you just show up. All right, and there we are today. We're talking to Mike Cameron. He's a Canadian writer, speaker, philanthropist, ultra marathoner. We'll get into that. An advocate against gender-based violence. Mike went from literally bagging shit. This is from his from your website, Mike, to founding, building, and running an award-winning multi-million-dollar business. Uh, he's worked on a, a variety of nonprofits and charities to pave the way for violence-free future. Today, he designs programs to assist men and tap into their emotions in a real and authentic way using his emotional reconnection practice. His book, Becoming a Better Man, is available on Amazon, and we'll put the links up here so everybody can get it. Uh, if, if, if you're on YouTube, you got to check out his TEDx talk, The Way Men Think uh, of Strong is Wrong. Uh, I definitely urge everybody to take a look at that. I watched that. It's pretty uh, emotional, I think, and I got out a lot out of it. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, Ryan. I'm thrilled to be here, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you just came back from a trip. Could you tell everybody uh, what that was about? Yeah, you know what? I was uh, I was down in New Zealand visiting some friends, and uh, I, I like to make these destination trips uh, around something. So this one was, uh, my friend moved down there, and he's one of my run buddies. Uh, so he had messaged me a few months back and said uh, he was going to do this Tarawera ultra marathon down there it's a 100 miler and uh, invited me to come down and and do that so so that was my birthday is february 10th 
Uh, I turned 50 in 2019, and and we did a destination race for my 50th uh, down in Costa Rica. So I thought, yeah, this year let's let's do New Zealand. So I, I think this may become a tradition. We'll do these destination races. So how how did you? To me, that sounds like you know driving 100 miles is is, is pretty good. Uh, how did you get involved in in an ultra marathon like that? Yeah, you know it's it's kind of like most things in my life it's it's this progression of how do i how do i chase the next big thing how do i you know stepping stones right how, you know the first one the first thing i i sort of started with in my fitness journey was that marathon obviously was was you know the big goal and uh, you know i started with a 5k got to a 10k a half marathon eventually got to a marathon and uh, in 2013, well, 2012, I split with my wife and sort of, sort of threw myself back into fitness at that time, just as a bit of a, I don't know, maybe coping mechanism at, at that point, and uh, ended up doing Ironman uh, triathlon in 2013, and uh, ultimately just sort of progressed from there. And, and running was just an easier outlet because, you know, you lace up your shoes, you head out the door and, and you run. Whereas triathlon was a lot more involved from a training perspective. So I, I shifted my endurance focus from triathlon to ultra marathons in, uh, in about, I don't know, 2016. And then, yeah, started with a 30 miler, then a 50 miler, and then ultimately... Um, I've now competed in one, two, three, four hundred milers. Wow! Is is the toughest thing that the the physical part, or is it the emotional part? Um, I, th- I I think you know you you obviously have to be prepared physically, but now definitely the the emotional and mental piece of the puzzle is is the big one. Um, you know, it's that it's that mindset of relentless forward progress. Just keep moving. You're going to hit low points. Uh, at some point in the race, I mean, there's just no question about it. Um, you know, for me, we're talking about depending on the course, anywhere from 24 to 32 hours uh, of running. <clears throat> so yeah, at some point, it, it's going to freaking suck. Uh, there's just there's no getting around that. There's no amount of training that is going to get you to a point where it doesn't suck at some point in the race. So it's really more about tapping into that mindset and just continuing to move forward even when it sucks and and know that, you know, that'll shift. Um, You know, my mantra becomes when, when you hit that low point, it's, you know, keep moving, wait an hour and see how you feel. Mm. And uh, you know, usually there's, there's a bit of a turnaround. I mean, it doesn't always have a turnaround. This, this last one was uh, not a positive outcome. I, uh, I ended up picking up a, a bit of a stomach bug the day before the race and uh i made it just shy of 50 miles but um ultimately i just i couldn't keep any food in i was it was going out both ends as soon as i could put it in and it was just i i ended up having to pull the plug when you were growing up were you always athletic were you into running or were you no no No, it's it's funny i i talk about it all the time like i'm not an athlete um, people laugh because, well, of course you're an athlete, you do all these athletic things, but yeah, the reality is, you know, I've always been more sort of geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid. And, uh, you know, athletics has never been 
something that's that's big in my radar. And one of the things I pride myself on is is my work ethic. Um, and it's one of the reasons I love the long distance stuff. Um, you know, I will never be a podium finisher, um, but I've got that work ethic and, and, you know, for me, that's what it takes to get through these, these longer distances is you've just got to grind it out. Do you, do you find that that kind of equates into life as well? I mean, you have tough, tough situations and in, in, I know I do in business or life and you can look back to these really tough races that you've been in and I mean, yeah, you wanted well, to quit. Yeah, it, it, it's all practice, right? You know, I, I talk about it a lot. It's, you know, I try, I attempt to take the word try out of my vocabulary and replace it with practice. Hmm. Um, so anytime I, you know, at my talks, I, I, I talk about this all the time. I, I don't want you to try anything that I talk about. I want you to practice everything. Because when we shift from try to practice, you know, try has this sort of pass-fail mentality. When we can move to practice, we know that practice just m makes us better. We get a little bit better each time we practice. So for me, these ultra marathons are just an opportunity to practice embracing the suck. You know, when I got into um, <clears throat> triathlons, one of the guys I followed was an older racer. I think he was probably 40 at the time. And uh, Chris McCormick, he's won multiple Ironmans. Um, and he wrote a piece called embrace the suck. And he talked about how for him moving from short course triathlon. So like the Olympic distance triathlon to Ironman, he said there was just no amount of training that was going to get him to a point where at some point in the race, it didn't suck. There's just no amount of training that you can do that's going to avoid that suck. So he had to shift his mindset from avoiding to embracing and, you know, I took that article, I actually rewrote it, I don't know, probably five, six years ago uh, in the context of business. And it's the same thing. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can be best prepared. You can have the best product. But at some point, business is going to suck. Something's going to come along. A competitor is going to come up with something faster, newer, better. Um, you know, your key staff is going to quit. Something's going to happen. So there, there's just... There's no amount of preparation that is going to allow you to completely avoid that suck. So then it becomes about practicing embracing that suck. And for me, the ultra marathons are a controlled environment where I can do that, right? I, I know, I mean, we've got aid stations every, I don't know, 10 miles maybe. Um, so I know worst case scenario, if I got a bail, I got a I got a point where I can bail. So it's it's kind of that controlled environment um, where you put yourself into a position where you know it's going to be hard. You know it's going to suck, um, and it allows you to practice that in in a somewhat controlled environment. Because as you say, we know that life is going to throw something at us at some point that's going to fucking suck, whether we like it or not. Yep, exactly. Well, that's a that's a great way to look at it. Honestly, um, what did you want to do when you were growing up? How did you get involved in 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 business that you are right now? You know, it, it's growing up. I, I wanted to be a millionaire. Like I, <laughs> I <laughs> that, that was really the extent of it. I uh, I I kind of always felt 
you know, I think like many of us, that I was special and I was destined for greatness and I was going to do big things. Um, I don't know that I had anything in particular that I wanted to do. You know, I talk about literally bagging shit. Um, when I was 18 years old, <clears throat> you know, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. When I was 16, I was getting in all kinds of trouble at home. Mom and dad ended up shipping me off to Australia to live with my uncle to sort of, you know, quote unquote, turn my life around. And um, when I came home, still no purpose, uh, ended up getting a job at a garden supply wholesale company, uh, literally bagging steer manure. Um, and, and that was, you know, in hindsight for me, that was kind of the beginning of my exploration into the impact that emotion has on human behavior. So I worked in the soil plant, I bagged steer manure. Ultimately, I worked in that in that company for uh, almost eight years. I, I moved my way up into sales. So ultimately, I ended, I ended up selling steer manure. And I can tell you, Ryan, nobody buys steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit, <laughs> right? They, they buy steer manure for what they believe that will give them. Ultimately, you know, they'll be able to plant a beautiful garden. They'll be able to grow beautiful flowers. They'll have this feeling of accomplishment that they created something beautiful from this bag of shit. So as a sales guy, you know, again, it, it's, it's not about selling the bag of manure. It's about selling the feeling that that bag of manure is ultimately going to give the customer. Imagine, imagine how that's going to feel when you can watch this little thing you took from seed, put it into the ground, bloom into this beautiful flower. Imagine that feeling. This bag of manure can help you get there, right? So th that was kind of my first clue into that. And uh, ultimately, I, I sort of hit the, the ceiling um, at the garden supply company and, and uh, played hockey with a guy that was into finance. And he was having lots of fun, making lots of money. So I said, how do you do that? He told me. Um, so I pursued that, ended up doing quite well. Uh, in that front. And, and that was kind of my, my next lesson in the, the impact that emotion has on human behavior. I, I was 26 years old and I bought, uh, I bought a Porsche. And, you know, nobody buys a Porsche because it's a logical thing to do. Mm -hmm. We buy a Porsche <laughs> because it's that emotional feeling of, um, you know, that pride of ownership, that sort of success, that look at me, look at me. You know, I was in the, the greater Vancouver area at the time in, in British Columbia in Canada. And uh, at that time, it was the only yellow Porsche in the lower mainland. And when I went into the dealership and that that um, that car salesman, he he that Porsche dealer, he knew this very, very well. So he got me to sit in the car. He got me to take it out for a test drive, put the top down. What does that feel like? Like, doesn't that make you feel like a baller driving this thing? <laughs> right? At 26 years old? Absolutely. So, you know, I bought that car based on emotion. Um, there was nothing logical about it at all. So I guess we talked before we were recording. And I what, what drew me to you, I was looking around for cool people because I, I want to talk to awesome people. And I saw um, you like to speak about men and, and emotions 
and how men always have to be this, you know, the stereotypical tough guy and they can't let their emotions out. And I'm like, wow, that's really, that's me. Like you have yeah. to keep all these emotions inside. You're running a business. You can't, you kind of express how you're feeling. Um, you keep it all inside and then all the stress and anxiety builds up and there you are. How, how did you really start talking about that and realize that that's, that's a major issue for, for everybody? Yeah, well, like I said, so so the the sort of I studied the impact that emotion has on human behavior to become a better salesman, to become a better business leader. Um, and it was probably, I don't know, seven years ago, I was out for coffee with a, a lady friend of mine and, and we were chatting about these things. And, and I'd said something at one point about, you know, all this talk about us manning up. And I said, you know, really, it should be more about men need to learn to woman up. And uh, so I actually wrote a piece on that about seven years ago um, entitled, Men, It's Time to Woman Up. And flash forward, you know, a couple of years later, um, my, my uh, girlfriend um, in 2015 uh, ended up getting murdered by an ex-boyfriend of hers, um, which kind of really just tied this home. You know, here was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. Um, so everything I'd studied about how emotion impacts the decisions we make in everyday life kind of came full circle at that moment. And I realized you know, at that time that I had an opportunity to turn this pain into purpose. And originally, you know, when it happened, I had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the justice system that surely failed her. You know, she'd done all the right things, filed all the right paperwork, had the right restraining order. I mean, this guy was a bad apple. And, um, you know, there's just, there's no amount of court orders that are going to protect you from somebody like that. So, you know, I had a lot of people that wanted me to sort of go after the justice system, which, you know, surely there, there's a lot of room for improvement there. But when I looked at that, I mean, we're talking about putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. Um, and I started looking at how do we prevent men like this from existing in the first place? You know, obviously there was something deep-seated um, within him that caused this behavior. Um, so I started looking at, you know, how do we prevent men like this from existing in the first place? And to me, it really does come back to that, what I call emotional reconnection practice. So, I mean, the fact of the matter is emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people, period. And you know, we touched on it earlier. As guys, we're actively discouraged from exploring our emotions, um, you know, for fear of, you know, being called a pussy or, you know, we, we see it all the time. And I know there's a lot of talk these days, but finding real and meaningful ways to be able to practice this um, is still challenging. Um, we still feel this you know, if, if you're a husband and a father, you know, you probably feel this weight of, I got to be the provider, whether or not your, your partner expects that or not, there's just this ingrained societal feeling of, 
I got to be the man. I got to step up. I got to provide. And I can't complain about it. I got to just suck it up. And this goes on and on and on, and it, it can easily spiral. I mean, you know, look at the, the, the rates of loneliness, depression, and suicide in, in men, and it's ridiculous. It, it, it's an ep- epidemic. So, you know, for me, this encompasses so much more. Obviously, from a violence prevention standpoint, you know, gender-based violence or, violence or intimate partner violence, um, <clears throat> I've become very involved in in that prevention community and to me this is the answer and not only is this the answer for that realm but again when we talk about uh, suicide depression uh, violence in general um, you know men are acting out for a reason Um, you know the sexual assaults the 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 me too movements and you know again i i i know this can be a polarizing topic but the reality is you know if we can find ways as guys to practice that emotional reconnection it just makes us so much better as human beings makes us better fathers better partners um better employees better leaders all these things like again there's just there's a plethora of evidence that talks about the importance of you know emotional intelligence um yet as guys it's difficult for us to become emotionally intelligent when we're not allowed to explore that so what is what does somebody do like me in the business world you know i'm i'm supposed to be this this leader everybody looks to me for the answers to everything I go home, everybody looks to me for the answers to everything. And, and, you know, maybe I don't have the answers, right? Uh, maybe I would want some help from somebody else. or I need help for my own mind. What do, what do I do? Well, I, so, so I use the acronym SOAR as a framework, slow down, open up, accept and reconnect with your emotional self. So I think that slow down is the first piece. And that's important. And, and I don't think we allow ourselves to do that enough because we've got to be busy. We've got, you know, you've got a young child, you've got an older child, you've probably got lots of things going on at home. It's busy, 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 busy. But just taking that 60 seconds to just pause. Take a breath and acknowledge what's going on because that awareness piece is huge and and i think sometimes we get so busy that we just don't acknowledge it you know i appreciate the fact that you you're able to acknowledge that you know i do feel this weight i've got this business to run i've got to provide for my family i've got to have all the answers i mean i think the reality though is today's leaders aren't necessarily the ones with all the answers They're the ones that have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, I don't necessarily have all the answers, but I know where we can find them. I know where we're going. If you're willing to come with me, we can do this together. Mm. And from a leadership standpoint, I think that's important because again, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people want to be followers per se, right? They, they kind of want to be co-leaders. So 
which which is beautiful in a couple of different ways because it takes some pressure off of you um, as the quote unquote leader. I mean, again, I don't want to diminish. <clears throat> Definitely, we need people to step up and take a leadership role. But I think that role is changing. You know, 15, 20 years ago, we wanted to follow people that had all the answers. Today, if I tell you something that you're going like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. What are you going to do? You're going to whip out your smartphone. You're going to Google it. And you're saying, yeah, you know what? I knew Mike was full of shit. Um, versus... Wow. I know on my end, I, I, I love, I can't tell you how much I love when um, somebody comes to me and says, hey, let's do this. Let's try this. This is what we want. This is what I'm going to do instead of, hey, Ryan, what, you know, what should we do today? What should I do with this? Um, how should we do this? How should I approach this? What do you think of this? It's a uh, it's overwhelming sometimes. Absolutely. But you know what? That's that's a leadership skill to create that culture, to create that environment where your people feel safe doing that. And again, that's where I where it comes down to being able to have the courage to be vulnerable and say, you know what, guys? Sure, I'm the boss. I'm the leader here. But understand, I don't always have all the answers. So I'm going to look for you to provide some of the answers as well. And maybe none of us have the answers, but if you've got an idea, let's get after it and see what happens. What do we do for, well, I have a three-year-old, so it's a, it's a good scenario. What, what do I do or what do other dads and, and moms do when we're, we're raising that three-year-old and we're kind of putting them in that box? You know, boys wear blue and girls wear pink and guys are tough and don't cry and girls are emotional. Uh, how do we, how do we re- train our, our minds to get around that. Yeah. And again, I think it's just starting with that awareness piece and taking a breath, you know, when our understanding that, you know, we, we are conditioned that way. We have been conditioned that way for a very, very long time. So just taking a pause before you quickly react to your son in a, in an environment or a situation that, you know, maybe isn't quote unquote manly, um, just taking that beat to say, you know what, maybe this is all right. Maybe he's just expressing how he feels. And in fact, maybe that's a really, really good thing. Uh, maybe he'll be a stronger man because of it. You know, real strength isn't about suppressing, avoiding, or remaining stoic in the face of your emotions. Real strength is about having the courage to face them, sit with them, and learn from them what we can. So... Like I say, when I say slow down, open up. So share. So allow your son to share. And sometimes for a three-year-old, they, they share very expressively, <laughs> right? I mean, think about that. And that's why I use the term reconnect with our emotional selves versus connect. Because, yeah, if you've got a three-year-old, chances are they're pretty connected with their emotions, right? They know how to let those emotions flow. Mm -hmm. And... You know, over the years, we get stifled. And in my opinion, that causes all kinds of problems. When you don't, especially when you don't understand or don't, aren't aware of the fact that you've been stifled. Um, again, there, there's a fellow by the name of Dr. Antonio Damasio uh, who talks about, um, he wrote a book called Descartes' Error. He talks about 
how we make decisions based on emotion. Um, and if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a purposeful existence, a fully awakened existence. Uh, and we tend to go through life on autopilot. We put our head down, we do our thing, and we just keep moving. Um, frankly, that's not how I would, that's not how I want to exist. You know, I want to be able to take the time, feel the feelings. You know, even even this this last ultramarathon, I mean, it was incredibly disappointing. I spent thousands of dollars to, to go over to New Zealand. Uh, I trained for months to do this thing. I got hit with a flu bug the day before the race. There's nothing I can do about that. I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't disappointing. Um but just allowing myself to feel that disappointment without beating myself up. So that's the acceptance part, right? You feel stuff and that's okay. And I think sometimes we get into this spiral of, you know what? I shouldn't feel disappointed. I, I ran almost 50 miles. Like that's a long way. I should be very proud of that. And of course I am, but I'm also disappointed. I trained to run a hundred miles. I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. It's disappointing and that's okay. So feel that disappointment, lean into that, let it come out. However that comes out. Um, you know, for me, it's sharing with my partner, Michelle, um, and just being able to, you know, I said something to her that, that she sort of was taken aback and I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying the disappointment. Hmm. Um, and for me, the more, you know, and, and when Colleen was killed, this was never more true. I mean, there was an opportunity to, to feel deeply. Um, a friend of mine sent me a, a letter by a fellow by the name of Ramdas. Uh, he's an American spiritual leader. I think he just recently passed, actually. Um, <clears throat> he wrote a letter to Rachel, which was... Um, a young girl who was brutally murdered, and he wrote a letter to her parents. And in that letter, there were, were sort of three key pieces for me. In that letter, he said, who among, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And when I read that, I just thought, you know what? It would be easy for me to bury my head in the sand, climb into a bottle, pop some pills, become, you know, even the running can become obsessive. Um, if you let it, but I made a very conscious decision that I was going to remain fully present and aware through that sadness, um, through that pain. The second thing he talked about is our rational minds will never understand, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I, I went through that. Why, 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 why her? She was a beautiful human being nothing but kindness, nothing but love. Why, why, why? And understanding that there's just, there is no rational answer to that question. And then the third piece for me was, now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. And again, just allowing myself to feel that depth of sadness and pain. And, and not avoid it, not bury it, not suppress it. Um, 
you know, there were, there were times where, where I would, I'd curl up into a little ball on the floor and I'd just ball my eyes out. Um, but I'd allow that to happen. I'd revel in it. I'd allow the feelings to come. And so now I look for any experience, whether, you know, again, it's, it's pride of your kids doing something well, being able to feel that deeply and just take a moment to sit with that, whether it's the disappointment of coming up short in a hundred miler, being able to actually feel that and sit with that. I mean, what a gift. And as a result, the richness of experience that I get to live life is incredible, Ryan. Like it's just incredible. You know, I, I was at a concert the other day um, with a friend, a friend of mine, um, two talented uh, husband and wife team, just incredibly talented musicians. And they poured their heart out on stage, but just allowing myself to feel that concert and, and some of their stuff is, is, is pretty heavy. Um, he was, he was sexually abused as a child. So he talks a little bit about that. And some of his songs are about that. It's very, very powerful. But again, just being able to experience that to that level of depth, you know, is something that I couldn't have done 10 years ago. And, and it's being present. So that, yes. so um, I have anxiety. I've suffered from anxiety for a long time. And one of the, the, the main things that can help you with anxiety is to be present, um, you know, smell the smells and, and feel the feelings. Um, there's a really good poem. I pulled it out for here and I can't find it right now. I think it's called Ithaca. It's about, I'll put it on the podcast. It's the link to it. It's about, you're on this long journey, but it, you know, enjoy, enjoy the, the rocking of the boat and the and maybe you're sick enjoy 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 the feelings of being sick yeah um enjoy everything the rain the the sun and it's it's hard when you're in those those tough spots like you were just talking about to 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 feel um uh, but it's definitely important yeah and it it it's about practicing in times of calm to prepare for the storm so looking for opportunities to practice so you asked what can you do so think about you know, the next time you're you're driving in rush hour traffic and some jackass cuts you off, you know, that's an opportunity. Rather than flipping them off and getting all pissy about it, you know what? Just take a breath. Slow down. Open up to whatever feeling's coming up. Allow that to be there. Accept that. Reconnect with your emotional self and carry on. You know, that's an opportunity. And when you start shifting these minor annoyances from annoyances to opportunities, it's it's pretty incredible what happens. You know, again, even from a business standpoint, when um, things go sideways and you want to get angry, you want to get mad, you want to just recognizing that, okay, you know what? Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity for me to practice experiencing the feeling and deciding how I'm going to respond to this. And I'll tell everybody out there, my worst decisions are reactionary. Always. My worst decisions are reactionary. So it could be that email that you send. It could be that, that phone call or that text message that you send when you're, you're pissed off and you're angry and 
um, you know, why, 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 why? And you shoot off this email and then you're like, oh, why did I do that? Yes. Um, and, you you know, you hurt feelings and, and hopefully nothing worse than that. Um, it's just for making those reactive uh, decisions. Yeah. And, you know, for guys, I, I think part of it is surrounding yourself. So, so I started a, an organization called connected men, um, which runs men's groups every week. And really it's literally an opportunity for us to practice feeling. We've got a group of guys that get together with the intention of allowing ourselves to feel. And we've got a number of different themes every week. Um, you know, I use the analogy of, of physical fitness you know, if you want to be physically fit, you need to go work out a couple of times a week. Yet, what do we do for our emotional fitness? Absolutely nothing. So this is about creating a space for guys to get together, drop the mask, the stereotypical bullshit, and talk about, Jesus, you know what it feels like to be a business owner that's a sole provider, that's this, that's that, and just be able to to feel that in a safe environment. <clears throat> and we get the opportunity to practice holding space. Um, and for me, that's really the definition of holding space is about creating an environment where we're fully present with another's experience, but also fully aware of how their experience impacts us. So if you're sharing with me, me being fully present to your experience, but also being fully present to how your experience is impacting me. And that practice of holding space. So it's not about fixing things. So if you start talking to me about how heavy this feels to be the boss, to be the leader, to always have to have the answers, it's not about me telling you, yeah, but you know what, Ryan, that's okay because yada, yada, yada. It's about me asking you questions to take you deeper into that experience. So what does that really feel like physically? Where do you feel that? Do you feel it in your chest? Emotionally, what is that? Where do you go with that? What do you do with that? Let's unpack that a little bit. And again, just creating that space to explore. Um, the holding space thing is so powerful. And as guys, typically, we're not very good at it. We tend to like to fix things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is another opportunity just to practice that holding space. I had a brilliant example of that a while back. Well, two examples, one of us not doing that. So one of the guys in, in our group um, <clears throat> was new to the group and we'd kind of gone around the circle and a bunch of guys had shared some things and it came to him and he said, you know, I feel a little bit inadequate. You guys all have this life experience to share. And I just, I feel like I have nothing to contribute. Um, so I said, okay, well, what is, you know, what does that feel like sitting here sharing that with us? And we got to the root of it was he felt ashamed that he had nothing to offer. And immediately, and myself included, we all started fixing it. Oh no, dude, dude, you got lots to offer. You're a great guy. I'm sure you've got tons of valuable experience that you can. And we started fixing it. That is not holding space. Perfect example of holding space. Um, a couple of weeks later, I was out with my daughter, uh, who was 16 at the time, 
and we were out for a coffee while her she was getting her tires changed and uh, she asked me what was up what was going on so I started talking about some of the things we do uh, in our men's group and and why it's important um, what the importance of allowing men to feel and I said to her at one point I said you know do you understand why this is important I said because emotionally connected men don't kill people and I absolutely fell apart absolutely lost my mind uh, I started crying in the middle of this um, busy coffee shop and of course I immediately started trying to suck it up and pull myself together and she just looked at me a little contented smile on her face she leaned forward <laughs> I'm gonna cry telling you but this is one of the most beautiful moments of my life she leaned forward and she said, Dad, you've just spent the last 20 minutes explaining to me the importance of allowing men to feel. Let it out, she said. And she just sat there. And I thought, what a beautiful example of holding space from a 16-year-old girl. Like it was just, again, it, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've had with my daughter. It, it was incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, again, the opportunity to practice these things, just looking for those opportunities, I, I think, is a big part of it. Um, and like I said, that that starts with the slow down piece. How did you start a group like that? Um, I just so I created a, a framework. Um, and then, it sounds uh, amazing. Yeah. And, and then uh, I just put it out on on Facebook and all my social media. Um, I've got a bit of a following based on on the work I've done, and uh, yeah, we've actually we've got a couple of groups running now. We've got uh, I've got another group starting um, in northern Alberta. I've got a guy that reached out, so so I've created basically a framework um, that will allow anybody. It's all it's all peer led. Like this isn't it's not a therapy group. It's just it's just a group of dudes getting together and dropping the, 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 the mask of the stereotypical bullshit that we're expected to be and really explore who we want to be. And I think there's a magic that happens when men get together with intention like that. And it's not about sort of, you know, it's not your men's rights activist type thing it's literally about allowing men space to practice feeling and the depth of connection that gets made is incredible like I say i've got i've got a bunch of sort of exercises and things that we go through you know one of our um topics is forgiveness uh, i've got a worksheet that we 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 list off all of the people who have wronged you and who you need to forgive and then another list of all the people you've wronged and who you need forgiveness from and then so we took some time and we we sort of went through that and then the group of us sat and we picked one of those individuals that we need to forgive and we spoke as if they were sitting across from us we told them what they had done to wrong us and we forgave them it was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just, it was amazing. You know, we've done another one on connection. 
my girlfriend and I do a thing we call forehead time. And it's just, we go forehead to forehead. It's not a sexual thing. It's not a talking thing. It's just a connection thing. And it's ultimately evolved to a point where if either of us feels somewhat disconnected from the other, um, we can just say, you know what? I just, I need a little forehead time. Um, and it's just about being connected, being fully present. Uh, so I shared that with, with the group and we sit in my office boardroom, uh, no table in the middle on these caster chairs. And so I slid across the room to the guy in front of me and we went forehead to forehead. And I said, what does that feel like? And he said, awkward. <laughs> so we ended up, uh, pairing up the guys and uh, we did forehead time guy to guy forehead to forehead and we just sat there for two minutes experiencing each other and it's not something guys do but again allowing the opportunity to make that connection and examine what is what does that feel like why does that feel awkward why can I not be that connected with you as another dude? Like, that's what we're missing in this world. Again, the isolation. Again, guys, we, you know, we're taught to lone wolf it, right? I got this. I got this. I don't need help. I'm not stopping for directions. I got this. And it's just so, so, so problematic. So my hope is, you know, that we can continue to, to grow and expand this. Um, and again, the, the connection made has been phenomenal. So over Christmas, we had one of the guys became aware of a, a woman in the community that needed some help. Um, she had left a bad relationship, uh, had a daughter, new place, nothing to her name. So we ended up um, reaching out to some community resources. We, we got her a couch, got her a couple of beds and, uh, we all showed up with trucks on a Saturday and we loaded this stuff up from the community center, took it out to her house and, and took it up. So, so it's really cool. Like the guys are starting to do some sort of philanthropic work together. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's been absolutely incredible to see, uh, what has come of this. And no it's, expectations. Everybody's just it's not for business. It's not for, for gain or profit. No. It's just, everybody just, they're there. Present. Yeah. Like I say, it's, it's really, yeah, it's a, it's about practicing presence and a practicing holding space for other guys and allowing ourselves to feel, mm. uh, and just creating that environment where we can do that. Uh, and like I said, the friendships that have, have sort of come out of that have, have been incredible. You know, I know a couple of the guys, they, they get together every Saturday morning for breakfast now, just as, as an aside. Um, yeah, just, yeah, it, it's, it's been absolutely incredible to see what ha what's happened. Sounds amazing. I have to get more info on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know what kind of time we have, but I have more questions for you. In, in your TED Talk, I'm going to ask you anyway. In your TED Talk, one thing that really stood out to me, I, I believe it was your aunt. Um, yes. So... I'm going to let you tell the story, but um, it, it just really stood out to me that somebody could be so strong and I wanted to get into kick-ass people because I hear you say that a lot. Could you, could you tell us that story about your Yeah, aunt? you bet. So, so, so the name, the name of the TEDx was redefining badass. 
And uh, one of the things, you know, Colleen, um, my late girlfriend, used to always tease me about how badass I was as a business owner, a rock climber, an Ironman. Um, she would always tease me about how badass I was. And as a guy that I told you earlier, I was always more geek than jock. You know, I kind of took that to heart and I really made me feel pride when when she we teased me with that. In 2015, in August of 2015, we went to Penticton where I was going to be competing in a half Ironman. And uh, that's where I got a real lesson in what it means to be a badass. So my aunt Sharon lives in Penticton and she's 65 years old-ish at the time. Uh, not overly fit, not overly active, maybe even a little bit overweight. Um, so we had finished the race and ended up at her place for dinner uh, the next night. And she started telling us this story about how, you know, she wanted to get a little bit more fit, a little bit more active um, this year. So when she saw that I was coming to town, she looked up the race and they had a 5K fun run the day before the big race. So she decided to sign up. She says, you know, I knew full well I was going to be dead last but I wanted to do this anyways. So she tells us a story. Yeah, I, I signed up. I went to the start line. I got way at the back of the pack because I'm going to be dead last, but I didn't care. So the gun goes, she takes off and uh, she's telling us this story. She says, you know, there's about a kilometer left to go. And all of a sudden this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And she says, I looked over at him. I said, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? And he says, yep. I'm afraid so. He says, but you're doing great. You're doing great. And he starts cheering her in. And so he rides with her that whole last kilometer to the finish line. And they get within 100 meters or so of the finish line. And he says, okay, I'm going to ride ahead and let them know you're coming in. She's like, oh, no, no, no. And she looks up and she can see they've already started tearing down the finish line. They've already started packing up the PA system. So he rides ahead, lets them know that she's still out on course. Well, they set everything back up again. Not only did they set everything back up, they said a fellow by the name of Jeff Simons out to run in with her. And Jeff Simons, a professional triathlete, he won, I think, the 2017 Melbourne Ironman. Like, he's a badass um, triathlete. So Sharon finishes telling us this story. She gets up from dinner, goes into the kitchen, and, and Colleen just looks at me, and she says, you know what, Mike? She goes, now that's fucking badass. <laughs> and I just thought, yes, having the courage to compete in a race that you know full well you're going to finish dead last, that takes courage, that takes guts, that's badass. You know, it's not about winning that 5K race, it's about having the courage to compete. And I told this story to, um, I went and spoke to a group of college athletics. It was a, it was 100 men, 100 male athletes uh, from their leadership program, and, and I told that story. And and I remember when I first got in the room, the guys were kind of, you know, they'd all been voluntold to be there. So they didn't really want to be there. And they were all sort of burping and farting and scratching and, you know, not paying a lot of attention. But as the story unfolded, I could tell that, you know, I'm starting to get their attention. And I, I remember asking them at the end of that, like, so how many of you guys would have the balls to compete in an event that you knew full well you were going to finish dead last? And I knew, and th these are all, you know, fairly high level athletics. I thought, yeah, probably none of you. If you knew you were going to finish dead last, I doubt you would actually compete. So, yeah, that to me just is the epitome of what it means to be a badass. And, and you know, again, why I believe we need to redefine what it means to be a badass. 
having that courage to be vulnerable. You know, it was the drive home. We talked about that story the entire drive home, and we were listening to Tim Ferriss, and he had Brene Brown on. And uh, Brene, you know, he asked Brene something to the effect of, uh, what, what do you think of the over-feminization of boys in our school system? And again, she handled it brilliantly. She talked about, you know, I don't believe that masculine and feminine are mutually exclusive. She said, in fact, I believe that the combination, the right combination of tough and tender is the perfect equation for badassery. Hmm. And for me, that kind of brought it all home. Um, and then, of course, you know, it was it was just a month and a bit later um, that Colleen was, was, was murdered. Um, so again, that sort of story and this guy's actions who, you know, he probably figured himself somewhat of a badass. Um, you know, we need to redefine what it means to be a badass mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah. Big way. So what does, uh, what do you have in store for this year for 2020? 2020? Well, I'm super excited about 2020. So I, uh, you know, we talked about, I, I ultimately went on um, in that finance business. I ended up setting up my own shop back in 2003. Uh, I ran that up until uh, last year, I actually sold the business um, so that this could become my primary focus. So, so I do a lot of uh, professional speaking. I have for years. Um, so 2020 is, is uh, the year of, of me. Um, actually doing what I want to do. You know, I did, I did very well from a business perspective. And the problem with doing well uh, in a business you don't love is, you know, you get those sort of golden handcuffs. Um, So yeah, I took a bit of a leap last year. I, uh, I sold. Uh, So right now I'm unemployed. (laughs) Uh, Not entirely true, but you know, I, again, I do consulting work. I do, uh, I speak professionally. Uh, I get hired to do, to do that, but, uh, yeah, that is the focus and that's what, uh, 2020 is going to look like. And then I've got another hundred miler, the sinister seven hundred miler coming up in July. So I've, I've a- take, attempted that one twice the first year I finished it, but I was almost two hours over time limit. Uh, the second year, I made it 120 kilometers and uh, and pulled the plug. So this is this is my year. This is my my third crack at it. So I got to come in under 30 hours. Wow, awesome! I have to ask, how do you train for something like that? Do you do you just uh, you know if you're sprinting, you're running sprints. I know you can run sprints, but you're not just going to go out and run 100 miles training. No, no. So I've hired a coach. So again, I'm a big fan of. You know, commitment, coaching, and discipline are kind of the three things you need. Obviously, you need to be committed to the process. Um, And that process is having the discipline to get the training blocks in. Um, The next piece is, what do those training blocks need to look like? So I hired a coach. So they've got me set up. um, Again, every week is a little bit different. So you've got your build week, you've got your peak week, and then you've got your recovery week, and and you sort of cycle through. I mean, I'm not going to do it justice because I don't, I don't have the uh, the education behind me uh, to know that. But that's why I hire somebody. So um, yeah, so we do interval work, uh, we do some speed work, we do some sprints, and then weekends we typically do back to back long runs. So. 
Um, you know, Saturday, I might have a three or four hour run. Sunday, I might have another three or four hour run. Um, and we just put them back to back um, so that it's, you know, as physiologically, it's it's as taxing or or you get the same benefit of doing an eight hour run, but it's broken up over two days. So it's a little um, less destructive on the body. Wow. Um, and it's just about repetition and consistency. And then, yeah, at, at, at the point you get to the start line, um, it's less about physical fitness and more about that mental piece. Cause like I said, at some point it sucks and you just have to get to a, like, okay, wait an hour. And that's my mantra, right? When it gets to a low point, okay, wait an hour, see how you feel, wait an hour, see how you feel. And ultimately, you know, you do, you have these ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, and usually it does come back. It's amazing. It, it is. It's really incredible to see. And it's, you know, again, as you said, the same holds true in life. Um, we hit low points. Just hang on. Wait an hour. Wait a month. Wait a year. Whatever it has to be. Just keep moving forward. Awesome. Keep moving forward. Well, Mike, where can everybody find you? We'll put your links up, but uh, where, where can people reach out to you? Yeah, MikeCameron.ca is, is the best bet. Um, YouTube channel is MikeCameron.ca slash YouTube. That'll redirect you there. Um, and yeah, all my social media links are there. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I do a daily, daily story at Axiom Mike. Awesome. I mean, I, re I really appreciate it. I mean, uh, the, people are going to get a lot of benefit out of this, I'm sure. Um, well, I hope so. Yeah, I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you soon. You bet. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media. 
or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.